Hello, it is me, Liam of Punks and Pubs. No, we've not changed the start of this podcast because uh, Fiddler has sued us for using their song Cheap Beer as our podcast intro. But let's face it, it is only a matter of time. I'm disrupting the start of this podcast to kind of ask you guys to throw a little change our way. Punks and Pubs podcast will be going to Punk Rock Holiday in Slovenia in August and I, I just don't have the money to support this trip. So what I'm doing is I'm asking you, the listener, to support the podcast and help Punks and Pubs get to Punk Rock Holiday so I can go and interview some amazing acts for that you guys will go and listen to at your leisure uh, later in the year. You can donate by going to gofundme.com forward slash get punks in pubs to punk rock holiday or click the many links that we have scattered all over social media on instagram facebook and twitter at punks in pubs you'll find a link somewhere around there we're not flying because that's gonna that would cost around about 800 pounds for the podcast to get over there so we will be driving in a car uh, the near 2000 mile trip so onto a ferry into france through germany and austria and into slovenia so please give as much as you can uh, even a dollar a pound, a euro, all of it helps. Uh, not a fan of giving up your cold hard cash for nothing. That's fair enough. I'm also selling the Punks in Pubs t-shirts that are usually going for £15 just for £10. This will be on sale at this price until the moment I step into the car to make the near 2,000 miles round trip to Slovenia. Uh, you can pick up a t-shirt by going to the Etsy site and in the search bar, search Punks in Pubs t-shirts. Right, that's that. Enjoy this episode of Punks and Pubs. Bye-bye. Welcome to episode 42 of the Punks and Pubs podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I hope you are all well. Uh, From the off, I just want to let you know that Punks and Pubs will be taking all of August off. It's not because I'm sick of you. It's just that I've got a lot of shit going on at the moment with work and also this podcast. Um, So we're going to take all of August off and we will be back on the 1st of September with a fresh interview, episode 43. So don't worry. It's only a couple of weeks away. You'll be fine. Go back listen to past episodes and enjoy us that way also don't forget we will be still active on social media that is because we have this epic road trip which i keep fucking talking about because i do need your help so please support us uh so yeah we'll be doing the punk rock holiday road trip we've kind of changed how we're getting there now so originally we're going through france into germany into austria and then into slovenia but what i didn't know was the french are robbing fucking bastards. So in France, the country is littered with tolls and you have to use them. Otherwise, you have to take massive detours to get to where you need to get to. And for us to use the tolls that we need, we will be spending around about £80 paying on tolls. So we're now going a different way to save money. Uh, We're now... This is fucking crazy. So we're now going from Calais into Belgium, into Luxembourg, into Germany 
down to Austria and then into Slovenia. It's adding about an extra hour onto our journey, so it's not too bad. So, yeah, uh, I feel like fucking Christopher Columbus trying to map out our maiden voyage to get to Punk Rock Holiday. And hopefully, unlike Christopher Columbus, we'll actually make it to our original destination. Please do follow us, though, on social media, because the reason that we are going to Punk Rock Holiday is I'm going so I can bring you some of the best interviews I can possibly can. But also, I want you to kind of experience the road trip with us. I want you to feel like you're on the back of the car with us. So we will be posting a lot on social media. Um, So, um, yeah, come join us uh, at Punks and Pubs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Like I said, let's stop talking about that. Episode 42. Let's talk about episode 42. Episode 42. How many times can I say episode 42? Uh, It was recorded back in June when Punks and Pubs jumped on a plane and traveled to Berlin, Germany uh, for your audio pleasure and I only went there for one reason and this one reason was to talk to Flo Haler. Uh, Flo, if you don't know, that rhymes, uh, he is the creator and the man behind the world famous Ramones Museum. So the Ramones Museum is a is literally what it sounds like. It is a, uh, it's a bar, calf and a museum of everything that Flo has acquired during his lifetime of knowing the Ramones uh, and he has basically collected all this merch all this memorabilia uh, for your pleasure only five euros if you get a chance to go to Berlin definitely go to this museum it'll be one of the best five euros you will spend and also Flo's normally around so you can go talk to him and talk to him about your own love of the Ramones so Flo invited me to come and have a chat with him at the museum that's located in this really cool part of the city called Kreuzberg, which we talk about a little bit in the interview. So to set the scene, uh, we're sat outside the Ramones Museum uh, on some benches with Berlin life going on all around us. You will hear fire trucks, ambulances. Uh, there's a train that goes by, uh, traffic, foot traffic. And um, during the interview, we got we accumulated a little bit of a crowd, so you'll hear some natter as well, and some people taking pictures because fuck, I don't know who they thought we were. But anyway, obviously just tourists thinking we're something we're not. As always, stick around to the end of the podcast because we play unsigned and new music. And this week, your band will be from Brazil. They are a band called Asco. I think that's how you pronounce it, Asco. They're a fucking fantastic band in the likeness of the Ramones just fucking chaos and fun Um, so yeah stick around for them I'll be back after this chat but sit back and enjoy this is episode 42 in Berlin with me chatting to Flo the creator of the Ramones Museum enjoy Go! 
two, and there's yeah. a three, four, and orcs. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, okay. But I, I, I mean, if you do an acoustic, possibly, but anything else. Well, we no. have a Q&A tonight, so I might steal this. No, I have, <laughs> I have my sound stuff here, so all good. Um, so let's start it off. So we're in Berlin. It is hot as fuck today in Berlin. Uh, we're outside the Ramon Museum. What area is this, Flo? This is an area called Kreuzberg. This is... Um, well, actually, the building that the Ramones Museum is located in used to be the last building in West Berlin before you could not cross over to the eastern side of Berlin. So this was the last building in the West. It was the dead end of West Berlin. And we were just talking about property prices and, and how much everything's kind of skyrocketed. From my understanding, this is kind of like an up-and-coming, regenerized area, no? Uh, it's tough to say. You know, Kreuzberg is one of the mo- most demanded areas, I would say, in Berlin because it's still what it used to be in a way which is this left wing lots of squats cheap but communal life that you would have here um and that's changing quite a bit because you know there's way more people in berlin than maybe 20 30 40 years ago and um and all the apartments that are some of them are pretty big and they used to be pretty cheap so there would be one or two people living in there now it's four or five so everything's getting more crowded so it's there's more tension on the streets and uh you know, then you have, you know, you have the venues, uh, you have the drugs, uh, you have the tourists, uh, and then you have the people that have been living here for the past couple of decades, and there's lots of friction going on, too. It's, it's if you, you know, if you want to experience Berlin, that's probably the place where you would go, because uh, many other areas in the city are pretty much gentrified, so it's all clean and nice and, uh, and owned by people, <laughs> whereas <laughs> this is, um, you know, where you still get some life, you know. Yeah. Real life. I mean, just getting the metro, which you can hear going across now. Like you see, you see like the the squats and the signs and the, the graffiti and how like how they're kind of expressing themselves through where they live, um, which is kind of like what I get from this area. Just trying to paint a picture for people uh, listening. So as I said, we're in the street. We're just outside the Ramones Museum. I mean, the obvious question would be, why do you have a museum? but we'll try to get a little bit out of that later on. But what I'd like to do is kind of talk about yourself a little bit and the idea that you've collected all this history stuff. of stuff of a band. If it wasn't the Ramones, would you collect anything else? Like, do you have, like, a thousand beer mats at home? Like, you just kind of got stored up? Like, are you kind of a collectomaniac? Do you just enjoy gathering things and putting them in one place? No, Ramones is the only thing I collect, but um, I do like uh, to own a lot of t-shirts. I'm a t-shirt guy. I like to wear different shirts <laughs> and uh, I'm, I just love t-shirts. Yeah. So I have shit loads of t-shirts at home uh, from various bands, but uh, Ramones, of course, is my favorite band to collect t-shirts from. Well, I'll, uh, I'll send you a Punks and Pubs t-shirt. Thanks. We, we sell them, and I'll, I'll, I'll send one across, and you can. Well, have that. you know, sometimes I struggle with my size. I tend to still um, order or buy small size, yeah. uh, but a lot of people tell me when I approach them to buy T-shirts, they go like, "You would like a medium?" And I go like, "No, I want a small. Just look at me." <laughs> you know, sometimes you have the false pers- perspective on yourself. You know? But yeah, if you want to get me one, I will take a small. <laughs> of course, I will. Um, so, if you don't mind, just kind of talk about like growing up and where you grew up. Am I right in saying you grew up in a, an area of Germany post uh, the fall of the wall, where perhaps you're like in a border town, like eastern and eastern west? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my my town where I grew up was the last town in western Germany. If you want to call it a town, it was more like a you know um, a forgotten village <laughs> next to a fence. Um, so there was no culture going on whatsoever. There was no, we didn't have a single punk, 
in uh, in this town. Um, uh, alternative, alternative music was foreign to pretty much everybody who lived there. So when music hit me, it hit me hard. Yeah, uh, there was a German band called Die Totenhosen. They, you know, have some reputation in Argentina as well. And uh, they wrote a song about this shit town in the mid '80s, so that's how I was introduced to punk. Because you know, on this album where they wrote the song about my hometown, they also had a couple of other tunes, and uh, most of them were pretty good. So that's that was my entree to uh, punk music. Because I, I the reason I asked that is because from why from reading a lot of um, punks who were near the border were getting into punk through on force radio so they'll have like John Peel sessions being played and he'll play The Clash or The Ramones is that something that, that you also experience from like British armed forces playing their music no but that's because I was living in this shithole <laughs> uh, if I would have lived somewhere else I'd probably be it would have been way easier to get like the British channels or maybe the American channels even though we were exposed to their presence I mean we had all the allies in our hometown they were somewhere on the outskirts and in their barracks um, so they were part of life to a certain extent but um, music now that you know I had various sources uh, that music came from you know mostly friends and you know Uh, sisters and brothers and parents and uh, so uh, but nobody would listen to that kind of music so what were they listening to then what were your brothers and parents well my dad was more like the you know typical grown up in the 50s rock and roll guy so he would listen to his Chuck Berry and Elvis which was cool you know Um, but he he, you know he didn't like punk you know when I when I got a couple of punk albums and, uh, and he listened to it he, he didn't draw the connection between his music and my music yeah so that was pretty much it you know and back in the 80s of course there, you know there was no MTV yet at least you know where I lived um, uh, you did you weren't exposed to music much you know you would have to read magazines and you know listen to tapes from friends you know eventually somebody would hand you something that you would like and you tried not to listen to what your big sister would listen to so it was a, it was a struggle to find your own um, way but then again when I when, when I found it um, this there was no one else listening to punk so I was the only one yeah and that was pretty cool because it gave you this uh, unique tag that you didn't have before so all of a sudden you were that guy listening to that kind of music and that scared people and that made people interested and all of a sudden you had this ally of um, misfits and outcasts around you and that's the people you would spend your time with so I'm guessing if you did grow if you grow up in like in a small shitty kind of town, finding your group of people who liked your kind of music must have been difficult so did you ever were you ever ex, were you excluded from like the, the I'm using rabbit, rabbit here quotation marks here the cool kids at school and like were you um, objectified because of the music you liked to a certain extent yes I wouldn't say I was not you know I was not invited to parties or uh, you know left out of things it was yeah, the town was too small to do that. I mean, um, I think what it made, like, what music or the remotes especially made me feel is like uh, I'm not one of them. You know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm different than they are. And uh, and if you like the Ramones, it was easy to join their gang. You would get a jeans and a leather jacket and uh, and and you know you would be cool instantly with just a t-shirt and and and, and some clothing and uh, and the music. So, you know, I became a Ramon. And I like that, you know, I like to be part of their gang and not, you know, my friend's gang. But I wasn't excluded. You know, also I left I left home pretty early. I moved out when I was uh, 17 maybe. So I had my own apartment, which made me, you know, one of the places to go to for my friends, you know, because you could drink and, uh, and hang out and, you know, not being watched by your parents and smoke. So uh, so my, my apartment was where people would, 
meet. So when, what was your first exposure to punk then? Like, was it the Ramones or was it you? you no, it was that German Tortenhausen band. Yeah, they were my. They were. They opened the door for me. But I was. It took me like uh, maybe six months to uh, discover the Ramones through them. So, in regards to German punk, what 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 was the sound <laughs> difference? Like, was it a lot well, more like heavy, unconstructed, or? Well, the, you know, punk came to Germany pretty late. Mm. Um, I mean, I think we were at least two, if not three, years behind from the UK. Maybe four, even. Um, and America. Uh, so the German bands, they all, it was like, they were the, the second generation of punk bands, I would say. They formed in the late 70s, 78, 79, 1980s, and they, they were much more aggressive. So you could you could say they were the worst, you know, they were more inspired by the hardcore punk wave in, in America, Dead Kennedys, uh, all those bands. So uh, so it was more that kind of music. Uh, the, the, the pop element in punk um, for the Germans didn't quite work. And also one of the significant differences was, of course, the language. You had that space and uh, you already decided you were going to become a journalist at that point in time. Or like, did you have no. a toy with the idea of being in a band? Like, Did you, did you try your hand at band? No, never. Because you just didn't like it? Too much work? No, I was never. It never crossed my mind. You know, you have to imagine there was nobody playing music <laughs> there, so I couldn't even form a band. I could have been singing, you know, like a one-man band in, in, you know, in front of a shop um, playing cover tunes. Yeah. No, I mean, the music journalist thing came up when um, when I was looking for things to do later after school, and um, there was one occasion. There was one moment where I saw the Ramones in Munich and after the show I went to the hotel and Joey was there doing an interview and he said well you know if you have any questions I'm not going to answer them because I'm tired and I'm going to go to bed but you can ask the music journalist because he's got the, all the answers so that was the thing that uh, came back to my mind when I was looking for what's going to you know what I'm going to become and I was like music journalism that sounds like a cool job you know it's like you hello uh, you, you talk to the bands and you know you're exposed to music and you make money so but that was uh, the early 90s, so nobody knew that print is going to die mm. that fast. Well, you were saying there was no music around then when you were growing up and you weren't exposed to it. Like, When was your first show then? When did you witness your first punk show? That was 89, I would say. Um, German punk band. And I saw... Who else I saw? I don't know. There were a couple of German punk bands I saw. You know, They pl- played in, in, in towns nearby my town. And then I went to see the Ramones first time in 1990. So that was my real first big punk show and was that like a come to jesus moment it was it was it was uh, it was life-changing so i mean everything was different afterwards so what was it about that then what 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 was it like can you even explain it like it's hard to explain you you know you can can ask anybody who saw the ramones play it was something different i mean it was like the earth would shake was it was was an earthquake it was not a show it was just so loud and 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 the earth was vibrating and finally you get to see those guys that you only know from record covers and maybe a photo if you were lucky and uh, they were so freaky looking you couldn't believe that these people actually exist (laughs) until you would see them play and then they hit you with a force i think you know the only band that comes close is motorhead you know Mm. and and the ramones maybe were not as loud but um they were so intense 
the Ramones are renowned for being quite poppy in their punk. It's one of the tags that they get. So why was it the Ramones? Why wasn't it the Clash or the Pistols or the Damned? Like, it just not interest you? Oh, yeah. I had a huge interest in those bands as well. But I don't know what it was about the Ramones. It was a whole package. I think one of the major differences is because they were still around. I mean, that is something that you may not forget. Everybody else was had already abandoned when I found that music. So they were the only ones I could actually go see. Plus, they had the look, they had the sound, they had the attitude, and they had, you know, the humor, too. They were actually pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, one thing you do not expect from a bunch of guys that look like they're going to beat you up in the next second. But um, that was just because I never smiled in photos, but they were actually really funny. Because there's a famous interview that you've given, um, or a story you've told about you were outside a show, and you went and said hello to them and they were asking you like you're quite young are you okay like do you have a place to stay and all that sort of stuff how did you end up building up that relationship then over the time well you go through the other fans first i mean it's like you know you go to a show you go to another show then you meet people that you saw at the show before so you go up to them you go like hey man so <laughs> i saw you yesterday are you going to see more shows mm. and so all of a sudden you have this small group of friends And eventually one or two of them knew roadies, crew members, band members, and that's how you get introduced to the band sooner or later. I think uh, one of the reasons why um, why these people were so, why the Ramones were so friendly is because back then, you know, a lot of people couldn't really speak English that well, including me, um, but... I might have been able to speak it a little bit better than the fans from Italy or Greece. <laughs> so so I was the guy the Ramones would talk through. Yeah. So if Johnny had something to say to a fan from, I don't know, Spain, he would he would ask me to uh, explain him in whatever language um, what he has to say. You know? So Johnny would be would use me to speak English. <laughs> did you ever, did Johnny ever tell you something and then you go, uh, I'm not saying that and then just make no, up something no, yourself? No, 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 no. No, it was just, you know, it was just small talk stuff, yeah. you know. But Johnny asked me a couple of questions where I thought, oh, this, I felt like, oh my God, I'm trapped. Um, but but he was, he had a genuine interest in what the fans, in the fans' opinion. So when he asked you something, it was not to scare you, it was out of sheer interest so he was. Uh, he would ask, like, what song should we play? What song should we not play? Um, so all of a sudden, you found yourself as like a, a set. You stand up the no, whole. No, no, no. I would never have an impact on the set list. But he would. He would throw back and forth thoughts he had himself. You yeah. Know? Like to just um, reflect his own opinion. There was this one occasion where he said, "Which song should we kick out of the set?" And I said, "Why don't you kick out Pet Cemetery? Because it doesn't sound anything like on the album." And it's actually, it's the same thing every night. It, It's kind of boring. Mm. <laughs> I didn't say that. But <laughs> and, and he said, well, you know, I, I agree to a certain extent, but we have to play the song because the fans want to hear it. And if I could pick a song that we're not going to play, it would be Bonzo Goes to Bitburg. And I was like, why is that? It's such a great song. And he says, well, you know, I don't like the song. I don't like to play it, but the fans want to hear it, so we play it. You got to pick up the pieces. Come on, such a treasure better. Hold your stuff back together.
So at what point did it stop feeling like you're speaking to the Ramones, those people, the posters that you had on the wall, to Ramones, uh, the people you can just have a general chat with? Never. Never. You always had they that They were always of... the guys on the poster. I mean, if they were actually in front of you, the, the, the aura they, they projected on you was even more intense. Yeah. You know, they were... Just their presence was so you know frightening and exciting at the same time that you would just be like oh my god <laughs> and then until the you know there was one moment though i mean after the ramones had retired in 96 uh, i went to see johnny in uh, los angeles once i went to his house and uh, and he was a retiree so we would just sit down and talk about the ramones it was fun you know that was a moment when i was had grown up a little bit and i was a little bit more secure about myself and he was not as intense as he was in the when he was with the band, he was a little bit more relaxed as well. So that was a good. That was good times. It was good two hours of just um, talking, you know, and, mm. and sharing um, uh, memories. But when the Ramones were still playing, it was it was still that you know you still had that view on them that they are you know the guys on stage. So at what point was it fandom to all of a sudden I'm a collector? At what point did you realize? Holy fuck! I've got I've got a lot of stuff. That was you, I don't know the date, but it was it must have been '98 uh, when eBay came up. Uh, that was in America only, and uh, and of course through emails and the first you know things like Yahoo or whatever it was, you would be exposed to other um, fans and and memorabilia. And then eBay came up, and Arturo, the guy who designed the Ramones logo, he would sell a few things off eBay. Hmm. And, and I was like, oh my God, I got to have this. You know, this is Johnny Ramone's guitar receipt. I need to buy it. I need to buy it. But this was, um, it maybe went for three, $400, which was a lot of money for me back then. So I, I didn't even think about buying it. But um, later on, you know, once I discovered eBay, there were things for $5 and I was happy to buy them. You know, yeah. and, um, and that's how I started collecting, you know, outside my own little Ramones box I mean the majority of memorabilia was of course what I picked up when I saw them play you know set lists and posters and t-shirts and stuff like that do you remember the first memorabilia you had what, what was the one thing you go that's the first thing that I ever bought well you know just the first album yeah, <laughs> the well, first yeah. album I bought I mean I have all the tickets I have all anything I could get my hands on when the Ramones played I, of course I would take home because there was not much that was before the internet mm. you know if there was a Newspaper, you of course you would frame it. You know that's the stuff you would do. And now it's very different. Now it's it's everywhere, and uh, it's hard to collect these days. I mean, I'm glad that I collect Ramones. I mean, there's like X amount of stuff you could have. Um, I mean, it must be a nightmare for people that collect the Beatles or Metallica or Kiss. You know, yeah. I mean, you because there's no end. Yeah. And the Ramones, there's there's an end. You know, there's only X amount of stuff out there, and you will never have it, but you can get close. You know. Did you ever come to a point where I actually thought, I'm getting a bit obsessed? Like, did you ever see yourself as obsessed? No. No, or I just have a too collector? I have too many other things going on in my life. You know, yeah. this is just a hobby. It's always been, still is. I mean, I like it. It's fun. Um, but it's not my main thing. You know, I have a family. I have a job. I have stuff to do. <laughs> you know, so, uh, <clears throat> so also, you know, with age, I think... You're, you know, you're just less fanatic about things, and and you think about letting things go. And so, if I don't win an item on eBay, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's not like I have a sleepless night because of it. Sometimes <laughs> I do though. <laughs> so you kind of spoke about your, like your family. From what I understand, your partner, I don't know if you're partner now, but partner at the time told you this has to move, or 
I'm moving, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, she would never admit, but that's pretty much what she said. Yeah. Um, but I understand why she would say it because it was just too much it was stupid it, my you know my apartment looked like a fucking hard rock cafe well it looked like a remote <laughs> museum um and she was she just said normal things like we don't even have space for a photo from the two of us you know maybe we should make some space for photos from our family from us <laughs> you know? and i said yeah i get it i get it so uh i just took it down and i didn't plan on you know opening a remote museum it was just in a couple of boxes and then eventually i found this place that I could have for no money that was bullying back in the day. Um, and so I I just thought, you know, I'm going to do a remote museum. Let's hope it's going to last a week and then whatever, I'm going to put it in the basement. Because you know? that, that's such a, a jump to go from, oh, I've got all this stuff. You, most people go, oh, I'll put it in storage or I'll put it up in an attic or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You went, no, <laughs> I'll do a museum because I think people are going to want to come see this. Man, there are so many collections I would love to see. I mean, if you have a place like this, there's other collectors. They go like, oh, Ramon's Museum. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool collection. Looks almost like mine. I go like, okay, so where's your collection? Where can I see it? Where do I pay five euros to see it? Yeah. Where's your fucking museum? Where is it? If you, you know, everybody can, you know, it's it's easy, you know. I'm not saying it's, it's um, it, it, it doesn't take time and effort, but it's doable. And, and there's collections, man, I would love to see when it comes to records people I know have gazillions of records some some of them in their shelves and I go well you know put them in frames put them up let me see them The Clash Mick Jones you know mm. why does he have like three warehouses full of memorabilia and not one museum you know how many sex pistols collectors are out there they're all on fucking Facebook you know oh here's my blah 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 pass from 1970s I, I would love to see it just fucking frame it put it in your bedroom and you know tell everybody to come by on a Saturday evening I'm there it's you know, I think we should we should be way more commune, communal about the things we we have or we do. And I'm not talking about music in general. It could be if I collect stamps or vintage bikes. You know, um, you you will find like-minded people, and some of the f- best friendships I have are because I have a Ramones museum. I, I completely agree, man. I, I, I there, there's a, some fantastic small museums out there. One of my favorite ones is the Icelandic Punk Museum. Have you, have you seen that one? I've seen. I haven't been there. So it's just in a toilet. It's literally just in a male toilet, used toilet. Uh, they've used the stalls for and plastered it with posters and pictures, and then um, just telling the history of Icelandic punk, not punk, Icelandic punk. And it's just such a, a cool use of small space that wasn't being used by the council. They gave it to them. And now you go, and like you said, you pay your five euros and you walk around. And it's such a cool little experience, and you're right. Well, I you need somebody who does it, right? You need someone to uh, take the initiative and do it. Um, yeah. Or have the passion about things. I mean, I mean, the, most, the best things always come out of passion and love you know a labor of love it has to be you can't you can't manufacture these things um you would feel it you, they, it would feel fake and phony um you can't have a brand establish a punk museum you know it has to come from the heart and uh and i think that's exactly what you feel if you enter a place if it's made up and made for money purposes like i don't know madame tussauds or something <laughs> or if it's uh if it's like um somebody who did his homework and he knows what he talks about you know yeah can you remember the first person who paid to come into your museum no i can't no, no. did you were you excited though when they came through the door you're like oh fuck, no. someone wanted to come no, no it was just never like, you know I'm, I, it's excited I, i'm surprised every day um 
that there's people coming. Um, yeah. Still, you know, this is almost 15 years. Um, but the Ramones, of you know, it's like um, I think there's two things that cater to the longevity of the Ramones Museum. One is Berlin's a pretty cool town. Two is the Ramones. I don't know how this happened, but they turned into this um, cultural icon. They're beyond music. Uh, they're in fashion. They're in lifestyle. They're like, uh, you know, in South America, they're religion. You know, I think, you know, you could say it's, it's a fucking religion down there. Um, and so I think I picked the right band, mm. you know, for a museum. I think if I, if I would have opened um, a Take That Museum, <laughs> maybe not so many people would come. And um, you'll have to call it Never Forget. Have that. Wow. That's a song. So if there's a Take That Collector, male, female, I don't care, out there, this is your job. Yeah. You open a Take That Museum and you call it... Never Forget. Never Forget. And we're both there, front, front of the queue. <laughs> Man, I pay five euros to see it and I'll buy the shirt. <laughs> so I don't want to get crass, but I read that you paid for a... Uh, was it a wall or something that was from jo oh, yeah. Joey's apartment oh, yeah, yeah. to come here it's, it's Joey's entertainment center it's a, it's, a, it's a wooden furniture piece and you paid a, a shit ton of money no well I that. paid nothing for oh, really? it okay. I, I paid a shit ton of money for the shipping yeah it's 600 kilos <laughs> um, and I, you have to air cargo it from New York to Berlin so when I dropped it off at the air cargo center in, at JFK there were some you know some guys you know big strong guys and they were like why do you ship this and I said well you know it's family values blah 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 so I had to pay a lot of money and you know CJ's CJ he said oh I have this amp do you want to take it to Berlin I said yeah sure man I'll take it and uh, it almost didn't fit my car but then finally it did so I brought it to the air cargo again and that was just as much so you know sometimes you have to pay a lot of money to get this stuff over from the states but this was a, a two you know biggest pieces um, and you know I want it so I'll do it do you get people coming in bringing in merch like for you to have like go oh, I yeah. have this would you like this yeah many people yeah too many people oh really um, okay yeah I encourage everyone not to bring me things um, <laughs> because I probably have it and if I don't have it I probably don't want it because it outdates the Ramones career era you yeah. know, it, I, the only thing I collect is stuff from 74 till 96 so any anything that outdates that time I, I I don't know what to do with it you know I, especially things after the Ramones retired I don't you know other bands I don't care One, two, three, four. So let's talk about the band a little themselves, because you've written a book that's kind of interwoven with your own life, and and you've kind of written it from your own. Is that right? From because it's in German, so I haven't read it. Um, but is it from like your own perspective and how you've lived your life and how the Ramones have played its part in your life? 
Yeah, to a certain extent it is. It has to be. Um, because I think the, the fans are one of the m most important things around the Ramones. I think, uh, I think if, you know, the, the fans have a special relationship to this band. They're really special. Special mm. kind. It's not like these people that have that they don't like a different band tomorrow. If you if you uh, if you adopt the Ramones or if you're adopted by the Ramones, then you never get out of it. It's like uh, you have a contract for life. So uh, so I wanted to um, tell everybody how much the fans loved the band and how much the band loved the fans. And I think they were the way the Ramones treated the fans was really special. They. They took us seriously at a time when everybody else would just laugh at us, you know. And we were not, we were not cool people. We were, we weren't pretty, and we, you know, we weren't rich, and we didn't have a lot of interesting things to say. But, but, um, but they were always kind and always caring, and uh, and so that was a very important aspect for me to bring across in the book. And also, I wanted to say that Johnny Ramone was one of the nicest people and not an asshole like everybody else <laughs> seems to. Uh, seems to um, project or like um, write about in their in their publications which is cool you know I'm, I'm glad I never had to work with the guy but from a fan's perspective he was he was the greatest person you could po pro possibly meet through this book you've obviously researched the shit out of it and from being a journalist you, you know how to do that properly so you would have spoken to people you would have gone through historical archives so if you don't mind me asking if I ask you some questions about the Ramones and then you give me your own interpretation of probably how Because this is probably the closest we're going to get, really, to, to interviewing one well, of the Well, you know, it's, uh, doing the book, I mean, I, you know, there were lots of question marks. Because um, there's lots of different um, recollections of, of events um, yeah. when it comes to time, places, um, people involved. So what I think I did with this book was lecturing uh, six books and 27 Wikipedia articles. But, um, but there were things I... I of course couldn't be sure about so yeah. um, I took the op option that is most likely <laughs> <laughs> because there's going to be people listening to this who will know about the Ramones now but at the time the Ramones weren't playing mainstream music like they weren't on radio MTV weren't playing them that much and they were did you ever from your research did you ever feel underappreciated themselves like because the Dam get the recognition the Sex Pistols get the recognition the Clash got the recognition whereabouts the Ramones they were in this kind of like spot whereabouts they are Recognized, but unfortunately, they're probably recognized more for their logo than they are for their music. Like when you were talking to them, did, you, did they ever feel like they they didn't, weren't getting the credit they deserved? Because the Ramones essentially created the Sex Pistols. Well, I think they struggled with that throughout their career, and I think the music tells how much they struggled and how much they tried to be successful in the in a commercial aspect. Mm. But I think there was a time when they kind of understood or accepted that uh, this is their fate. This is how it is. They won't be able to change it no matter what they try. I think there was the early 80s when they figured that uh, no matter what they do, they're never going to sell albums. And they were just um, accepting, you know, being a band that has to tour and sell merchandise. So they were kind of like ahead of their time in that aspect too because nowadays nobody sells records so everybody tours and sells merchandise. But... I think the Ramones always knew that they're um, one of the reasons why they are so successful on their own terms was because they have a huge fan base, yeah, a very loyal fan base, and they knew that they're never gonna be um, they're never gonna be out there by themselves because there's always gonna be people who love them. 
And I think that was the most important thing to them. And I think it's funny, actually. The Ramones now, I think, would have survived better in the music industry than a lot of the other bands. Because a lot of the other bands really relied on their record sales. The Ramones relied on people turning out and going to shows and buying their merch. And that's what bands need to do now to survive. So I think the Ramones were very much... Not, I don't think it's from their own choosing, but they're very much ahead of the curve in, in playing shows, getting the music out there, because the radio weren't touching them, their album sales weren't doing that well. So they had to get themselves out there a lot more, and that's probably why their legacy is so rooted in their fans. Exactly. Mm. You know, I think it, it actually helped them not to be commercially successful, because they could um, focus on themselves and what they do best. You know, Of course, it plays with your ego if the bands that you inspired overtake you left right and center uh, when it comes to commercial success but um, but in the end they were doing okay it was not like they were struggling you mm. know they were doing okay I mean they made money and uh, and, and, and they, they were content with how much they made of course it could have always been more but they were it was not that they uh, you know they were broke you know they were doing okay yeah and if you go to the Ramones Museum and you, you take your time to you just like study some of the merch lists that hang on the walls you will see that these guys sold 1500 shirts a night you know 2200 shirts a night it's a lot of shirts man <laughs> yeah it's a lot of shirts it's a lot of money and it was all cash so <laughs> uncle sam didn't see any dime of that <laughs> probably not um so the band were now well the band unfortunately had their own disagreements and there was periods whereabouts they weren't talking to each other or there were lawsuits against each other do you know, towards the end, was there any form of regret? Do you know if they look back at it and go, we didn't deal with that in a very, in a good way? You know, I can only, the only thing I can say is what, what's written in the books. If you read Johnny's autobiography, he regrets, he, did, he doesn't regret that he didn't talk to Joey before he died, but he, he or in the movie, End of the Century, he says that, you know, he, f he felt bad when mm. he died. I mean, I think the best way to compare it is, um, you know, it's like people... I mean, these people were never fr friends that much, you know, yeah. maybe in the beginning a little bit more than in the end, but they always had their own little camps and, 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 and people they, they would um, have around them. So they were not really close. I mean, it wasn't, it, it, they spent a lot of time together, but they wouldn't spend it talking about intimate things or like how they feel, you know. They would just try to get out of there as fast as possible. Um, so, but then again, if you spend so much time with someone else and, you know, of course, these people are part of your lives and you feel bad when they die. Um, I don't think anybody had any regrets. Hmm. No, I think they were just way too happy what they accomplished. I think that was the main thing. I mean, Johnny Ramone was definitely happy, you know, in like in the last couple of years when he lived in Hollywood. And he was he loved the fact that he would have all these friends Hollywood, Hollywood celebrities that would love him for being Johnny Ramone and how much he inspired them.
while writing the book, you're obviously also still running um, the Ramon Museum. Did you ever get a point where it's like you were dreaming Ramon dreams? Like, were they just so embedded into your life that you were like, I don't want to hear any fucking Ramones stuff at all. I don't want anyone to even say Ramones to me. No, no, no. There was never a point when I felt like this is too much. No. I, you know, it's, if you write a book or like just anything you write, it's like, and you know, every sentence you have to squeeze out of your brain. Um, and sometimes yeah, I had a good run and I felt like, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's like exactly what I wanted to write. You know, so I had a couple of moments where I felt like this is going the right direction. And then there were a couple of days when uh when you would just have to do plain research and you would research for four hours and then you would write like one line and uh you'd be like how am i gonna finish this you know and as you just mentioned there's family i have a kid i have a job i have this place you know i have you know tax <laughs> so i mean i always had to like squeeze, squeeze squeeze a couple of hours into the day to get this over with you know but i'm glad i did so the museum itself has moved a couple of times now yeah. Um, just cause, I'm guessing because you need to expand, get bigger, more no, people. No, no. You know the city changes, and you either change with it, or you, you know, or you you rot. <laughs> <laughs> um, now this like this move was definitely the last. Yeah. This is going to be the last incarnation of the Ramones Museum. If we have to leave for whatever reason, there's not going to be a new Ramones Museum. And when I found this place, I mean, I, I felt like this is it. This is it. Um, it's the right area it's the right space but it's not bigger it's just as big as the old one it's not more expensive it's just like the same amount which is rare mm. especially in this area to find a landlord that says well i like your idea here's your place you know it's cheap have a good day nice. <laughs> um yeah but you still have that mentality though in berlin you know not, not everybody's greedy a lot of people are greedy but my landlord is definitely not one of them good on this landlord and um, so you built a stage and one of the first bands who played here were alkaline trio Oh yeah, that was uh, the previous uh, location. Yeah, how did how did that come about then? Well, I was I was running this magazine, so I had I was exposed to music and, and bands every day. So I heard they're in town and I asked them <laughs> if they want to play. And Skiba said, "Sure, man." So that was that was when when Alkaline Trio was was a shitty punk band, <laughs> and and now Skiba plays in Blink One Eighty Two. I think it would be way harder to get him to play a couple of songs in the Ramones Museum then again he's cool enough to do it you know yeah, uh, yeah I mean Alkaline Trio was the perfect start I mean once you had that name on the list everybody else came it's gonna take a while now because he needs to get yeah to so for people listening uh, there's a I think it's an ambulance trying to get by there's, but there's a shit ton of traffic in front of it I could go on about this for hours, man. As in traffic or the noise of an ambulance? Yeah, just like the people who plan. Like, who, who is... Like, just really quick. Berlin used to be east and west. So there's... And, and the main divide between the two parts is a river, which is right behind us. So there's four bridges crossing the river. And they're always... There's always traffic. Yeah. Because it's the only way you can cross over from one side to the other. Now... Because they're smart, they closed two bridges next to each other at the same time. I don't know why people would do this. And, uh, and so this is what, what happens. You have traffic 
all day anyway, but now you have double traffic because they only have like one lane to cross. And then, of course, you know, the people that need to go to hospital have a hard time getting there. <laughs> bad, bad on them. You know, maybe people die because these people don't know how to plan. I mean, that'd be an interesting documentary if someone if someone in Germany wants to do that is looking at like the the death rate since the uh, two I'm sure every city uh, everybody in every anybody in any city can has the same kind of issues I don't know what these people do behind the, in those glass towers I have no idea man but they really don't know what's going on out in real life they don't even go drinking so, <laughs> I'm just trying to bring it back now uh, CJ Ramon was the first Ramon who came to the museum to perform is that right yeah that's right and how was that like was it was it fun for him or did he enjoy it what kind of experience i hope you know i don't know it's hard to tell you know cj is such a down-to-earth polite honest funny knowledgeable wise smart man that um i hope it was fun for him i hope it was challenging enough because that guy is you know he's got so much in his brain it's like whatever you, you want to talk about uh he, he he you know he probably knows better <laughs> um Yeah, he was the first uh, Ramon to come, and I think he's been here four times. He's going to be back in July. We're going to do a reading. I tried to do new things with him because he played two or three shows. We had one movie night, and uh, and now I think it's time for something different. So I know he's working on a book. I mean, whenever I saw him and we spent time on the bus, he would read me chapters, and, and I said, well, why don't you bring some of your chapters from the book to the Ramon's Museum and read? Because mm. I like him when he's got his glasses on and... Uh, And when he's just um, the wise guy, you know, not just a musician playing Ramon songs. So that's what we're going to do in July. Richie Ramon was here twice. He's a gr he's a funny guy too. He spent a couple of days in Berlin last July. We watched the World Cup finals together last oh, nice. July. Um, we had Q and A's and meet and greets. He's he's I li I really like him. You know, I I never saw him play in the Ramones, but when you see him play solo, you understand the uh, the music and the songs and the albums he played on. And, and Marky is going to be back in July. I think I have to mention that too. Otherwise, he's going to give me shit that I didn't say it. Did you see the uh, the Marky Ramone Johnny Rotten thing? Sure. Yeah, what what did you that. think about that? Did you think that was like PR for for the for no the movie? Rotten was drunk? Yeah, you know, just being and he was he was he was just rotten. You know, <laughs> he was just insulting everybody. That's, I mean, everybody knows that. You know, but then you have a cool guy like Rollins who plays the game, and then you have Marky who's uh, bitter. Um, And, and there's like it shows the bitterness the Ramones had towards the Sex Pistols all through their career. Mm. You know, if you if you ask the Ramones, the Sex Pistols de destroyed punk. Well, I mean, there's a funny story about the Ramones when the, when the Pistols came in there backstage and they pissed in all the bottles for uh, for um, yeah yeah yeah. Need to drink. Like, they, they, they kind of like doing that. Supposedly, that was a nice little prank they like doing. It's a good prank. I I, I wish it's true. You know, <laughs> I, I wish it's true. I you know, I I would definitely say. It could be true, um, but you, no one knows. You know. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a famous picture of Johnny Ramone meeting Johnny Rotten backstage at the Roundhouse in 1977. And Rotten drinks a beer. So it could be that beer. But who knows? You know. <laughs> so what, what, part, what bit of memorabilia would you like to get your hands on for this museum? If you could get any bit of memorabilia. I would like to have Johnny's guitar. When we talked about it in 1996, he said, how much would you pay for it? <laughs> I didn't give him a, n a number because he pretty much said it's $20,000 and I, was, I couldn't afford that. But that's the amount he, uh, he sold it for, $20,000. I mean, which is nothing from 
today's standards of what's being paid for Ramon's memorabilia. Yeah. Some of his his seventh or twelfth backup guitars get sold for ninety thousand dollars. You know, stuff he may played on stage either once or five times, maybe in a movie. Um, yeah, an instrument would be nice, but I will never get one. So you have to be realistic about it too. If um, someone has one and you want to bring it in, I know earlier on you said don't bring stuff into the museum, but if you've got a guitar, yeah. But even if they bring it in and I can't pay for it, you know, and these people know what they got their hands on, and if they want to give it away, they should make sure to get a shitload of money for it. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, funny enough, music memorabilia, not just Ramones, is uh, It's like art. It's it's like real estate. People in. People buy that stuff because they know it's not going to lose any value. Yeah. I'm going to say, you must insure the shit out of no, everything. No, mate. Come on. No. Well, insure I, it. I could never afford an insurance. You know, if this place burns down, I'm doomed. <laughs> Fuck but, you know, people steal, you know. And sometimes, you know, they're successful stealing. An item is gone and it's... Hope, I hope it's gone for good. You know? yeah. I hope that somebody appreciates what he stole <laughs> and puts it up in his bathroom <laughs> at home. I don't know. But um, I'm trying to secure the stuff as good as I can. Something is being stolen. Then be it. You know, you have to be... That's life. You know, that's what happens. You know, it's yeah. like... You know, there's people that live in California. Their houses burned down. I mean, I feel super sorry for them. I mean, and um, of course, you know, it's, it's sad if things get stolen or you know get um damaged but that's that's a risk that's part of the deal you know so are you looking to like put more stuff into the museum or are all you the done time, now? yeah my, always looking my well first of all i'm always i'm always always looking second i have still so much stuff at home that needs to go go up but you know so i have to apologize to everyone that there's a few items that they don't get to see in the next couple of weeks or months because i don't have the time to set them up because as i mentioned this is a hobby (laughs) do not forget this is a hobby it has to fund itself it's a it's a fun you know it funds itself which is great you know most hobbies you know you pay a lot of money if you you know go fishing or you know uh, skiing (laughs) but um but um you know there's people that work here so i mean I would love to not charge any money for coffees or entry, but I have to because I have to pay rent and pay the people that work here. Um, but other than that, you know, there's no, there's no profits or whatever. You know? I mean, five euros is a is a bargain for this place, mate. So you're doing well. It's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, and I honestly sometimes I feel bad because I go like, oh shit, you know, these people paid five euros to get in, and now all they see is twelve hundred <laughs> pieces of paper. But they're actually pretty cool pieces of paper. <laughs> right, I, we've come into an hour, so we're going to start wrapping this up, Flo. Um, Thanks. I think I think the most obvious question is, over the years that you've done this, what's been the most satisfying moment you've had while at this museum? It's like, what's your favorite item in the museum? I can't tell. There's so many great moments I had and have in this place, like this interview being one of them. Ah, oh, cheers. Um, and you know sometimes but you have to make sure when it comes to your mindset that you cling on to these moments and do not be distracted by the daily mayhem that you're exposed to with just running a business shit breaks people are sick um, you know you don't get stuff delivered you know you have to make bank transfers and all that stuff there's a lot of the, the work around it is just 
so time consuming and 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 tiring that sometimes it's hard to really motivate yourself um and i need those nights and moments and people that come here and meet those people and hear their stories to be motivated because otherwise you know i could just not I, it, it would be a way better and easier life without it you know so i'm you know i um that's what keeps me going and that's what what makes me survive is like um, the people that come here so without them it just wouldn't wouldn't make any sense perfect well normally we finish the podcast by playing a little tune from whatever band we're playing with or whoever we're talking to so what ramones track would you like us to play you out on outsider perfect Flo, mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been a thank pleasure. Thank you so much. That was fun. Oh, and uh, good luck with um, all the other podcasts. This is great. And I, I hope that people keep tuning in. I mean, for sure I am going to tune in now that I know that it's uh, a very detailed um, uh, thing and not just, you know, like uh, a brush off like the usual facts that you get to know. But uh, I think this is a really good format. So uh, thanks, thanks for doing this no, and taking the you. effort in coming to Berlin. I mean... For everybody out there, I mean, this guy flew over to Berlin to do this. He, he was not, I mean, he was not just in town. And there are so many other great things to do here, you know. So, thank you. No, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you to Flo for giving up his time. And Flo's right, we travelled to Berlin to speak to him and only him. And that's why we're asking you to support the podcast so we can go to Slovenia and I can bring you interviews just like that from Punk Rock Holiday. If you can give up a little cash and you won't miss it. I don't want people giving up money if it's like you need it. Like fucking keep your money if you need it. But if you are in a position, you're in a fortunate position where actually you can support the podcast, please do. If you can go to gofundme.com and search for punks in pubs in the search bar, you'll see our logo. Click on that and donate what you can. All of it will help us with gas and petrol money. It is what it is. Uh, I don't really like asking you, but I, I have to because this is the only way we're really going to be able to fund our trip there. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about a bit more music because that's really why you're here so playing at the show this week is a band from Brazil they are called Asco and this track 
Uh, I'm about to play you. It's fucking amazing. It's called Travas. Make sure you check out the band. They're on uh, Bandcamp. There'll be a link on the uh, social media site or also a link on this podcast episode on your phone. Right, that's it. That's us done for the summer. We will be back on the 1st of September. Enjoy your August and don't forget to follow us on social media to see our epic road trip across Europe. Until next time, if you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick that fucker right back up again. I'll see you on the 1st of September. Bye-bye.